0: Turn if you will then to our text this morning which comes from Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 through 18. Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 to 18. Hear with me then the reading of God's word. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation thus far as reading of God's Word. Now, last week we looked at the first part of this passage as Paul was calling on the saints to live as children of God, to live in contrast to this crooked and twisted generation. And some distinctions that Paul made were that saints are not to be grumblers or complainers or disputers, because grumbling and complaining and disputing at, the, at its very core and its very foundation entails care for only oneself. As the grumbler and the complainer and the disputer is only seeking after their own benefit. But what has Paul been talking about so often throughout this epistle? Humility. Humility. And what has he said about humility? Humility is counting others more significant than yourself. Humility is looking to the interest of others and not only yourself. And so Paul desires this for the saints so that in this world, no charge can be brought against them. The world can't say, look, they're hypocrites. They profess Christ, but they live just like unbelievers. And so Paul calls upon them to be without blemish in whom he says they are to live as lights in this world. Herein lies another distinction that we said last week that Paul makes. This world loves darkness. They live in darkness and they hate the light because they are in darkness. Darkness in their mind and darkness in their heart because of the works of Satan. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And so please turn with me there if you will and we will look briefly at this passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-6. through 6. You see, the God of this world keeps the unbeliever from seeing the light. They are blinded, and as such they live as blind men, showing no care and no concern for Christ nor for the Gospel. Rather, they care only for themselves. They deny the two great commandments the Lord has given us which sum up the whole of the law to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and secondly, to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, but we as children of God have been given light in Christ and in the Gospel, and we have been enlightened in our very souls as we have been quickened by the Holy Spirit, and now we are those who can obey God's law. And so today we will look at the second half, the second portion of this passage, as we will see how Paul draws more distinctions between the believer and the unbeliever, before the the Christian in this world. So that we can live as children of God in obedience to Him. And so we will do it today under three headings. The first is practicing what you preach. Practicing what you preach. The second is living for others. And the third is rejoicing in all things. So practicing what you preach, living for others, rejoicing in all things. Now, I'm most certain that we've all heard the phrase, practice what you preach. And what does that mean? What does practice what you preach mean? It means don't say one thing and do another. Yet, if we were honest, we've all certainly been guilty of that, of not practicing what we've preached, of saying one thing and doing another. Take, for example, the the parents who take their child out as they uh, begin to learn to drive, and the young child, 16, 17, they get their license, and the parent says to them, now when you drive, be careful to maintain the speed limit and always wear your safety belt. But for as long as the child remembered, the parent never kept the speed limit and the parent never wore their safety belt. And so, internally, the, the child saying to himself, hey mom, hey dad, why don't you practice what you preach? And so as soon as they're out of the sight of their parents and they get the license and they're in the car, they're probably not maintaining the speed limit and they're probably not wearing their safety belt. Because what you've done and the way in which you've communicated this to them and demonstrated it to them in their life is that what you're saying to them isn't of great importance. So why I listen? Why obey it? And you see this world likewise is filled with religious hypocrites who do not practice what they preach. And our Lord speaks out against this in Matthew chapter 23. Starting in verse 2, Jesus says this, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You see, Jesus is saying, listen to them. They have a place of authority. They they know the law. They've been trained in the law. Listen to them, what they're saying. But do not do as they do. For they act contrary to the very nature and the very purpose of the law. They teach right, but they don't practice themselves rightly. And this is the very thing that Paul is pointing out for us in our text here in verse 16. He's saying this world preaches but does not practice. But Paul says to the saints, you shine as lights in this world when you hold fast to the Word. When not only you believe the Word, but you live it out in your life constantly and consistently. And when you live out what you believe, you shine as lights before men. This is how we stand out in stark contrast to this unbelieving world. When we proclaim Christ, and we pattern our lives after His in every way, there's something different about us. The world says, hey, those Christians, I don't see them gossiping and slandering about one another. Those Christians, I don't see them fighting with one another. They're so peaceable. Those Christians, they they actually, on the Lord's day, worship God the whole day. They don't say that they believe in Him and they worship Him, but they spend Sunday like us all day sitting home watching football. No, they they actually practice what they preach. And Paul's a great example of this. He proclaimed Christ. He held fast to the Word in his preaching and in his life. He proclaimed this Christ who was resurrected from the dead. And so Paul had assurance that one day he too would be bodily resurrected from the dead. He proclaimed a, 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 a hope that is laid up for us in heaven. He proclaimed that our citizenship is in heaven. And guess what? Paul actually lived that way. He lived like he actually believed it. Imagine if he lived opposite to that. Imagine that as soon as trouble and persecution and suffering came his way, he said, wait, 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 wait. I just teach this stuff. I don't actually believe it. You know? If you... Let me free. I'll stop. There's so much fun there's still to be had in this world for me. I want to go swimming in the Jordan River. I want to go rock climbing or something like that. But no, Paul did not do this. For he knew people would say, look at the God he serves. He's not real. He doesn't even practice what he preaches. He doesn't really believe in this stuff. He wants to have all the pleasures and all the fun in life just like the unbeliever does. But this wasn't the case. Paul looked forward to heaven. He looked forward to being face to face with his God. And because of this, he held fast to the Word in belief. And so he was readily uh, accepted and ready to hold fast to it in his life. And what did this do? What was the consequence? What was the result of Paul holding fast to the Word not only in doctrine, but in practice? Well, we read in chapter 1, verse 14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, Paul's life and practicing what he preached had a sanctifying effect for all the saints. It had a sanctifying effect. It encouraged the saints. God used him to bless others as they saw that he was living in the manner in which he preached. He practiced what he preached. As he told the saints himself in chapter 1, verse 29, God granted it to you not only to believe, but to also suffer. And Paul himself exhibited this in his very own life. And this had an effect not only upon the believing world, but even the unbelieving world. As we hear that the whole imperial guard and all the rest knew that Paul was imprisoned in suffering for the sake of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, I say this to you. If you want to impact others, if you want God to grant you the opportunity to share the Gospel with others, then make sure that not only you believe right, but that you live right as well. That you live as children of God, live obedient to your Lord live in conformity to what you say you believe. And so this ought to teach us that we must be careful to practice what we preach. We must be aware that no matter where we go, there are people watching us. There are people watching us to see, is he true or is he false? Is he consistent or is he a hypocrite? And so if you're a parent or you're a grandparent, You must be aware that the little ones are watching you. They're saying to themselves, Does mom to dad, does grandma, grandpa, do they just tell us about the gospel? Do they just tell us about its effects in their life? But when I look at them, they appear no different from the unbelieving grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads of my friends. And then they think to themselves, Well, why should I believe in this God? Why should I trust in this Christ? if it doesn't have any effect upon the way they live, they're no different from the world. They see no light. And so in fact, what this can do is have a detrimental effect on these young ones. It can cause them to shun Christ, to shun the Word. Because they see no difference in your life, although you proclaim Christ. Yet even if you are not mom, dad, or grandma and grandpa, the same holds true for you in your interaction with young converts or your interaction with unbelieving friends and family. The young convert might see you and say, hey, they profess faith, but they, they live like everyone else. But they've been in the faith much longer than I. I'm, I'm a newbie in this. So, if this is what the Christian life is, then this is the way in which I will live likewise. Or if you have unbelieving friends or family who come over and visit you, and they see Dad mistreat mom and be mean to the kids and be a drunkard and speak vulgarities these unbelievers are going to say what kind of faith is this why would i want to participate in a faith in which you are able to behave in this type of manner and it be okay right or even ministers think about your relationship to your congregation are you cold you don't spend time with your congregation you're unhospitable well, guess what? You're probably going to produce the same in your people. They're going to be turn out the exact same way. And so, in fact, you have damaging effects upon the congregation, no matter how good your theology might be. This is why it's so important to hold fast to the Word, to live as we believe, to practice what we preach. And so we must take great care to be obedient to God in all His ways in cultivating a love to live out what it is that we have learned, that it not be burdensome to us. And we do this by dwelling on God in Christ. We do this on thinking about all of His divine attributes, about all that He has done for us, the sacrifice, His love He has shown for us. And if you are truly a convert, if you are truly a believer, how can it not cause your heart to swell up with love and desire to live obediently to God? to shine as lights in this world so that others may see you and desire to depart from their evil ways and likewise be quickened by the work of the Holy Spirit and shine as lights in this world for Christ's sake. All right? So this is one way Paul says we are to be distinct from the world. We are to practice what we preach. But he does not stop there. He goes on to describe in the second half of verse 16... And in verse 17, another way we are to be different than the world. And he says that as Christians, we not only live for ourselves, but we live for others. We live unto one another. This is the second point of our morning. Living for others. So look at verse 16 again as Paul says, We are to hold fast to the word of life, So that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. You see, brothers and sisters, today we live in a very individualistic society. We've lost uh, any sense of community and relationship and caring for one another. And this is certainly true of a lot of evangelicalism today. It used to be so important to come to church on Sunday. But now we've even made it accessible to just watch online. So if you, if you didn't prepare yourself Saturday and you had a late night out partying, all you've got to do is just wake up and turn the internet on and be able to watch the sermon from home. But what is the consequences of doing such a thing? You remove yourself from the body of believers. You're not able to come to church and use your gifts and blessings to bless others. And you remove yourself from being blessed by your brothers and sisters. And what we don't realize today is this is such an important part of the Christian life. We have been saved into a a body of believers. We're not to be lone Christians. We're not to just live for ourselves, but to live for one another. This is why in Scripture there are so many commands about how we are to interact with one another. There are all these one another passages because it presumes we're going to be together often. This is why Peter says in 1 Peter 4, verse 9 and 10, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's steward of God's varied grace. See, in God's grace, He has given us all gifts to use in service to Him, to use in service to the church, and to use in service to one another. This is why Paul says in Colossians 3.16 that we are to teach and admonish one another in singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. How can we do that if we neglect the community, the body of believers? We can't. And this individualism not only manifests itself in church life, but in all sectors of life, doesn't it? The divorce rate is 50%. You have fathers abandoning the home, leaving their wives and children to satisfy their desires elsewhere, not caring about how detrimental they will be to the young children, rather only thinking about themselves, the individual... What makes me feel best? Or I think about these uh, abortion bills I've been hearing about the past week or two. This uh, Alabama and Missouri. And I, I hear all this rage. You know, women being upset that you that you old white men are trying to control their bodies. And they don't like that. And you always hear the argument, well, well what about rape? Right? And so I, I looked at some statistics and I seen... 1.5% of all abortion is because of rape or incest. And so, isn't it just like the world to take the outlier, the one that happens one out of a hundred times, and they use that situation to normalize all the other situations? Right? This is why Paul calls this misshapen, right? Perverted, crooked. This is what they try to do. As about one in four women, in this world, will have an abortion in this country before the age of 45. And so that's an alarming abortion rate. 25% of all women in this nation are going to have an abortion. And it's going to be for reasons other than rape. Probably, most likely, you just weren't careful. right? No, No protection. And so now you have this unwanted pregnancy. And so what do they say? Well, I'm too young to have a baby. You know, It's going to ruin my body. I'm not going to be able to go hang out on the beach anymore. Right? This world, though, it's sickening. So enthralled with themselves. So consumed by the individual that they're willing to kill another for it. They're willing to kill their own flesh and blood for it. We see why Paul says, crooked, twisted generation this is. They believed in perversions they believe perversions because this isn't loving your neighbor as yourself is it this is the great distinction paul makes for us the christian lives for others the christian first lives for christ right what does paul say to live is christ to glorify him we live to obey the will of the Father which has been revealed to us in His Word. And in doing so, we live to build up, to strengthen, to edify, to preserve the church here on earth, using our bodies in whichever way God sees fit to use us. This was the case for the Apostle Paul. His life was a labor for others. This is why he says to the saints, I want you to hold fast to the Word. So that in the day of the Lord... My running isn't in vain. Because all that I'm doing, all that I'm suffering, all that I've been persecuted for is for your benefit. He says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all energy that He powerfully works within me. You see, God gave certain graces to Paul in order to proclaim the Word. And in doing so, Paul was in prison. And yet, even in that imprisonment, God used him to further and advance the gospel, and because of this, because of the suffering which Paul is enduring on the sake of, for the sake of Christ and for the church, he can say that he's being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of their faith. You see, this world views the life as Paul, the life of Paul, as a very antithesis of what they want their life to be. For when they see Paul's life. They don't see it being joyous. They don't see Paul's life as being fulfilling. But Paul understood his life to be abounding in joy and to be fulfilling in the utmost. This is why Paul says, after he says that, hey, I'm being poured out as this drink offering, that he's glad and he rejoices. He rejoices that God is using him to strengthen the church, to sanctify the saints. That they see all that he has endured. And what does it do? It emboldens the faith of others. And there is nothing more joyous for Paul than that. Being used to glorify God and to bring sinners to saving faith. For the Christian, for you and I, this is the fulfilled life. Because only those who are truly saved and given grace to obey can labor faithfully. And only then can we with eager expectation and anticipation await the day of the Lord in which we can hear the Lord say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. And to you and I, what is more glorious than that? There's nothing that we can do upon this earth that brings more joy and fulfillment to us than that. than to hearing that our Master at the end of it all is pleased with us. Good job, my good and faithful servant. Well done. And so each one of us must make it our duty to labor for others. To use your gifts. I don't care how great they are or how small. For the benefit of one another. Because if you are not faithful in executing the second table of the law in living for your neighbor, you are, can be most certain that you are not faithful to the first table of the law in your duty towards God. And so husbands, I ask, are you living for your wives? Are you seeking their spiritual benefit, their maturity, their growth in the faith, even if it means you lose precious time to yourself? Moms and dads, are you living for your children? Are you taking time to train them up in the way they ought to go? Are you spending time in prayer and reading the Word with them? Ministers, are you shepherding the flock? Are you shepherding them in the way in which you've been called? Or do you desire to just be a minister for what you'll gain? These are all questions every Christian everywhere must ask themselves. For we have been called not to live unto ourselves alone, but to live unto one another. And if we are doing that, we, like Paul, can rejoice as he says in verse 18. We can rejoice. And so, this then takes us to our third and final point of the morning. Rejoicing in all things. Paul was glad and rejoiced that his ministry was used to bring sinners to faith. He was glad and rejoiced that it was used to strengthen saints in the faith. He was glad and rejoiced that he was running and laboring on their behalf, and it was not in vain. Because the saints, we are told, were holding fast to the word, they weren't succumbing to persecution. As Paul says, they were dealing with the same conflict in which he dealt with. And so Paul could rejoice even though each day his life drew closer and closer to its end. Each day he was coming closer and closer to death's door. And yet he wanted the saints to rejoice with him. And so Paul speaks metaphorically here of being a a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of their faith. And so here he alludes to the Old Covenant Levitical sacrificial system in which in the Old Covenant the Levitical sacrifice was offered and wine was poured out upon this offering and it served to complete the offering. To finish it. And so Paul is saying, I'm glad that I'm being used to serve God and to serve you and you likewise are to rejoice in my service and your sacrifice which springs forth out of faith, which, to, which together, which combined, is an acceptable offering, pleasing in the sight of the Lord. And so I say to you saints, rejoice. That's what Paul saying. You see, the saints are to rejoice whenever God is glorified. And God is glorified in the suffering of Paul and God will be glorified if it means death to Paul. God is being glorified as they live In conflict? And so Paul is telling them to rejoice as they hold fast to the Word, both in doctrine and in practice. And so Paul tells them, rejoice, as this is Paul's desire, that we live in a manner consistent with our calling, that we are resolute in offering ourselves as spiritual sacrifices unto the Lord. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul says, we are to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, for this pleases the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, you can be glad and rejoice when you do something. You should rejoice and be glad when you see your brothers and your sisters Offering their lives as spiritual sacrifices unto the Lord. For even if we meet death as Paul met death, we can rejoice. Because we are not looking towards earthly rewards, but we are looking towards those future heavenly rewards. And so no matter what struggles in life you're going through, no matter what it is we are experiencing, if it is for Christ's sake, we can't take comfort and solace that God is working in us To perfect us. He is working in us to prepare us for that heavenly glory with Him for all of eternity. Nothing that occurs is by happenstance. Nothing is an accident. God is working in each and every one of us in all circumstances to mold us and to shape us into the image of His Son. And for this we ought to rejoice. Yet you see, the world does not understand this. The world sees us And they see miserable, pitiful, sad people. They say amongst themselves, they need God as a crutch to get through the hard times. But this is because, brothers and sisters, they are living in darkness. The Gospel is foolishness to them in their natural and in their fallen state. But see, you and I, brothers and sisters, do not have a blind faith. We do not have a blind faith For we have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good. We have experienced the Lord's power, the Lord's love, the Lord's kindness, the Lord's might, the salvation of the Lord. We have experienced the work of the Holy Spirit inside each and every one of us who bears witness by and with the Word in our hearts that God is true. And so because of this, we are always, everywhere, at all times, in all circumstances, to rejoice in the Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, as we draw to a close this morning, I exhort each and every one of you this day, rejoice! Rejoice! Whatever stage of life you're in, rejoice! Whatever condition of life you're in, rejoice! Whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you're in failing health or you're in good health, rejoice. Because you are loved by God. And isn't that reason enough to rejoice? He has made you children of God, and He works out all things for His good pleasure and for your benefit and advantage. And so do not succumb to the temptations of this world. Do not complain. And dispute and grumble like this world does. We are called to live unlike this world, in contrast to this world. We are called to hold fast to the word, not only in belief, but in practice. We are to practice what we preach. We are to live for others. And we are to rejoice in all things, so that we, likewise in Paul, that in the day of the Lord, when he returns, We can be proud that we did not labor in vain. And so please, if you will, bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, there is nothing that we can boast in of ourselves. There is nothing that we can bring or add to what You have done for us in Christ. We are unworthy sinners. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yet, Father, You have saved us. You have called us to live as children of God, to hold fast to Your Word, not only in belief, but in practice, that others might see our good works and glorify You, our Lord. Father, we confess that we do not often do this. And so we confess and ask for forgiveness. Whenever it is, we bring shame upon the name of the Lord when we do not live consistently with what it is we preach. And so, Father, we pray that Your Spirit would press upon these words into our hearts this this day and this week, that we might be mindful and careful to live a life which is consistent with what it is we say we believe, that we would live consistently as children of God, that You would press upon our hearts the need to live in gratitude and thanksgiving unto You, to live obediently to Your Word, that You would stir within us a great fire and desire to do so. And so, Father, we ask that Your Spirit this day would teach us these things, would cause us not to forget them as we walk out this door, but would bring them to the forefront of our mind each and every day, and that would cause within us a desire to think about and dwell upon these things for the sake of Christ our Savior. And in His name it is, we pray. Amen.